Okay, um, moving on to renal. In the normal kidney function, what gets filtered out? Everything but proteins and cells. And where does it get filtered to? From what into what? From the blood, in the glomerulus, into the... The what? Not the bladder. Proximal convoluted tubule. So the proto-urine is whatever's in that proximal convoluted tubule. And what's in that proximal convoluted tubule? Everything but proteins and cells, normally. So now that we have that filtrate, what's going to start happening to that what's in there? We're going to start reabsorbing. What are we going to reabsorb? Everything we need. So tell me some things that we'll reabsorb. Sodium and chloride. Bicarbonate. Some potassium. Yeah. We just talked about it the first part of the sugar, glucose. Some other stuff too. Now at the same time, your body can secrete things it doesn't want. So if there's a drug or something else that it doesn't want, it can secrete more of that out. So for instance, if you've got excess acid, what can your body secrete out into the urine? More hydrogen. All right, as you go down the, co the proximal convoluted tubule, uh, loop of Henle back up to the distal, you absorb, you keep absorbing sodium, but you absorb less and less and less and less until you get to the very last part, which is called the collecting yeah. duct. And in the collecting duct, our mineralocorticoid works. What is the mineralocorticoid? That was produced by the adrenal gland. Aldosterone. aldosterone. And what is the aldosterone going to do in the collecting duct? Controls what? Okay, but how? It controls sodium-potassium pumps. And it's going to tell those cells to produce more when aldosterone is around. If aldosterone is not around, some of those begin to fade away. Sodium-potassium pumps. Um, well, hang on. So... All right, so here's our, here's our nephron, okay? So this, this line is actually made up of cells, right? Now these cells in their membranes have sodium-potassium pumps, little molecules that pump, so they pump um, potassium into here and sodium out. So the number of pumps in each cell is controlled by aldosterone. When aldosterone is present, they produce more pumps. When aldosterone is not present, as those cells die and reproduce, they don't have as many pumps to begin with. So it can take several days for, your, for those cells to produce those new pumps. Now, what's the last hormone that works in this area and affects the, affects the final concentration? ADH. So ADH causes um, a change in the permeability of the collecting duct, which makes water easier to come out, but not sodium. 
it makes ADH makes it easier for water to leave, but not sodium. So it makes the final urine concentration more. Yes. If you have more ADH, you're going to more water is going to come out of here, but the sodium will be trapped inside. All right. Um, renal insufficiency. When we talk about chronic renal failure, what's the major cause of chronic renal failure? Or what are the three causes of any renal failure? Fluid overload is what will happen eventually. But what are the three what are the three types of causes? Pre-renal, intrarenal, and post-renal. Well, it is acute renal failure, yes. I, I'm strike out the chronic part. Let's just talk acute for a moment. So pre-renal is a problem with what? Pre-renal is always a problem with blood flow. So what things can cause pre-renal renal failure? Renal artery stenosis, so you just don't get enough blood to the kidney. What else? Norepinephrine, Norepinephrine if we're treating a patient with levofed. What else? Hypovolemia, the person's just dehydrated or in shock. They're bleeding out. Um, heart, is, heart failure is another one. Okay, what are intrarenal problems? Okay, local damage to the nephron itself. And what are some causes of, of damage to the nephron itself? Acute tubular necrosis. And acute tubular necrosis can be caused by poisons of various kinds. Ischemia to the, to the kidney. Pigments, yeah. So certain like uh, contrasts, IV contrasts. The other thing is that the, the um, glomerulus can be clogged up with stuff. What stuffs could clog it up? Um, well, kidney stones is in the duct itself, so that would be a post-renal. But what could clog up the glomerulus? Protein. Protein. And when are we going to have too much protein in our blood? What? Nephrotic syndrome is a little different. Nephrotic syndrome is when you have too much um, permeability in the Bowman's capsule and proteins leak into the, into the convoluted tubules. Um, what could cause too much protein in the blood? There's two diseases we've talked about. One we talked about in Pathopharm 1, and it's a type of cancer. What's the number one protein in your body? What's the number two? That's the third. Immunoglobulins. What produces immunoglobulins? What produces antibodies? Not T cells, but you're close. B cells. What's a mature B cell called? Pla plasma cell. And what's a cancer of the plasma cell called? Myeloma. Myeloma. <laughs> 
So, in myeloma, there's an excess amount of protein, protein in the blood, which could cause clogging of the glomerulus. What's it called when you have um, bone destruct or not bone muscle destruction, causing excess proteins in the blood? Nope. Rab rhabdomyolysis. Fibromyalgia is completely different. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Postrenal. What are the? What would be a postrenal? What is postrenal causes? Problems with urine flow. As as urine flow is blocked, the urine backs up into the nephrons, and the kidney begins to get bigger, blow up like a balloon. And what's that called? Hydronephrosis. Hydronephrosis. And how can we check for hydronephrosis in a patient? Tap on their kidney. Costovertebral angle tenderness. So give me some post-renal causes. Kidney stones. Cancer. That would block off or pinch off the ureter. What else? Well, that they cause hydronephrosis. Strictures. Strictures. It's a narrowing of the ureter or the urethra. Like, say, benign prostatic hyperplasia. If it gets bad enough, it'll completely block up the bladder. As the bladder completely gets back, blocked up, it starts backing up to the ureters. Neurogenic bladder. Who? What? Neurogenic blood. What, what makes you pee? No. The detrusor muscle. And what's the reflex called? The micturition reflex. So, as, the, as your bladder stretches, it goes, um, excuse me, um, hello, pull, need, get. And so you start to go, hmm, I feel a little funny. I gotta, I gotta go. And the detrusor muscle will contract and make the pee come out. Now, there's some people who either can't feel the need or the detrusor muscle fails. That's called neurogenic bladder. So patients who have had uh, spinal cord injuries, paraplegics, patients with spina bifida, um, some dementia patients don't know that they need to empty their bladder, so they don't. It gets bigger. Do we have any medications that cause urinary retention? No, that's treated, that treats it. But what kind of drug is Detrol-LA? Actually, I'm sorry. Detrol LA does cause it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, it can cause it. We use it to treat the opposite problem, urine incontinence. So what kind of drug is Detrol? What class of drugs? Anticholinergic. You guys need to separate the production of urine from the elimination of urine. You're, you're taking bladder and kidneys and putting them together. They're completely different. A couple of you, your answers have told me that you're not completely differentiating those two processes. Okay, so kidneys produce urine. Bladder stores and then eliminates it. Got it? Okay, so if you have a problem in the bladder, that can ultimately lead to problems in the kidney, but it'll take a little while for that to happen. All right, so patients who are on what kind of medications can have urine retention? Anticholinergics. Um, also, if you've got a patient who is on uh, relatively high doses of opioids. 
yes, they cause urinary retention. We use them to treat incontinence, but if you treat it too well, you can cause it. Um, it being retention, not incontinence. Opioids can also cause urinary retention. And say again? What's that drug that we just learned about that's Oh, that would be diphenoxylate and lamotil, so diphenoxylate atropine. All right, that's good for the for the acute stuff. Chronic renal failure. Um, what are the two major causes of chronic renal failure? Diabetes and hypertension. And what's the early sign? Well, what's the early sign of kidney damage? in hypertension or diabetes. Say it again. Protein in the urine. Because remember, what should not be in the urine normally? Protein. Well, that's how you know damage has already been done. And <coughs> it should be a wake-up call for that patient to get off their butt and take their medications and do their therapeutic lifestyle changes. Because heart attacks are bad, but kidney failure sucks worse in my opinion. <laughs> um, in patients with, with hypertension and diabetes who have proteinuria, what would be the drug of choice or class of choice to treat them with? ACE inhibitors, and if they can't tolerate ACE inhibitors, ARBs. Uh, what else? What's the treatment for kidney failure? Dialysis. Dialysis. What's the cure? Kidney transplant. Uh, what, were, what will our patient who has chronic renal insufficiency or failure look like in terms of lab values? High BUN and high creatinine. That's earlier in the disease. Later in the disease, what else will happen? Earlier kidney failure. Uh, let's call that moderate kidney failure. As they get worse, what's going to happen? They're going to get fluid retention and what other retention? Sodium, potassium, bicarbonate. Yeah, actually, the sorry, the bicarbonate will probably go down because what's in charge of producing it in the first place? The kidneys. So the things the kidneys normally produce, like bicarbonate. What else does the kidney normally produce? Hormone. No, not ADH. That's your posterior pituitary. We haven't talked about it today. Renin. Say again? Renin. Renin, okay. Angiotensin. Doesn't produce angiotensin. Produces renin. But let's think bone marrow. Red blood cells. Erythropoietin. So a patient who's got kidney failure <coughs> is in the kind of moderate stages where they're still producing urine is going to have high BUN and high creatinine, but their sodium potassium is still probably going to be normal. Eventually though, sodium and potassium are going to go up, bicarb will go down because your kidneys aren't producing enough of it, erythropoietin levels go down, so what does that do? 
makes our patient have anemias. What kind of anemia would that be called? Aplastic anemia. <coughs> so, now, because of the fluid retention, what's going to happen to their blood pressure? Because of the fluid retention, what happens to their blood pressure? It goes up. Now, in the later stages, our patient's going to have so much uric acid in their body that it's going to start coming out of their skin. What's that called? Uremic frost. And it's extremely itchy. And it's going to look yellow, but not the same yellow as jaundice. No, you don't. No, <laughs> you don't, don't want to see that. that. Oh, yeah, you can find it on Google. Yeah, definitely find it on Google. So that's in the later? That's in the later stages. Um, So, so with the kidney patient, let's think about the kinds of questions you could get asked. Is going to be more for chronic. Okay, it can be under acute too. Just renal failure in general causes it. Yeah. Um, now, some questions you could have with a renal failure patient. You could have questions about electrolyte imbalances, acid-base imbalances, and anemias. Yay. An example? Yeah. Well, let's say... <laughs> but everyone's getting it online. I know. Let's say you've got a patient who comes in with um, acute renal failure. So, you and they're they're short of breath. What's the blood pressure going to look like? High blood pressure. Um, you do a CBC on them, or you do a BMP on them. What does it look like? They're in renal failure. What do you think they're going to look like? Okay, so going to be um, high sodium, high potassium, high BMP, or sorry, high. Uh, BUN and uh, creatinine. What are you going to do for that patient in terms of potassium? Okay. Okay. You could give them a diuretic, but they are in kidney failure. Is it going to work? You d you can try it certainly, but you don't know if it'll work or not. Um, you can give them. So what else could we give them? What's going to protect the heart, first of all, from potassium? Calcium. What's the next thing you could do for the high calcium level? Sorry, high potassium level. They're in kidney failure. What does a kidney normally produce that would help, help deal with high potassium? Bicarb. So do you think we can give bicarb? Yeah. Okay. A little while. Um, say again? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to lunch around 12-ish, so if anyone would like some additional study time around 12, let me know. So. We'll have to yell, though, because it's kind of loud in that cafeteria. <laughs>
Um, now, in our patient with acute renal failure, is their, is their CBC going to be affected? I heard a yes and a no. Slightly? <laughs> Slightly? Well, what does that mean? Would they? This is acute renal failure. Alright, so in acute renal failure, the blood level should be about the, their, their CBC should be about the same. Why? Because it's acute and the erythropoietin hasn't gone down long enough to affect red blood cells. So in chronic renal failure though, what's probably going to happen? The red blood cell count will be low. Now if a patient's on dialysis, what are you going to add to their dialysis to help that? What? Erythropoietin. Okay, the way you treat acute renal failure is you treat the underlying cause. So if they've got a kidney stone, get rid of the kidney stone. If they've got a cancer, get rid of the <coughs> cancer. If they've got neurogenic bladder, empty their bladder. Um, oh, by the way, since, since you guys just learned about catheters, how would we empty their bladder? No. Well, you could straight cath them for immediate, but you probably, if they had that problem, you'd probably fully them. Um, if they've got if they've got pre-renal cause, you're going to treat the heart failure, treat the shock, treat the renal artery stenosis, whatever it is. If it's an intrarenal, that's tougher. You have to identify what the cause is, and sometimes you just have to wait it out and hope the damage goes away. So that would be what we call supportive measures. What would be the major supportive measure for a patient in renal failure, acute renal failure? Well, you can tell me. What's the major support measure for someone in acute renal failure? Yeah. How are you going to keep them alive? Dialysis. Dialysis. Yeah. See, I, I knew you guys knew it. It was just... <laughs> so you're going to keep them alive by putting them on dialysis. Um, and what else was I going to just say? I have no idea. Diuretics? Yeah. We'll talk about diuretics in a second. Um, you said one of the differences between chronic and acute is that chronic has the reduced erythropoietin, but this one I wrote anemia reduced erythropoietin too. Yes, but the, the thing in acute is the patient will probably die before the blood levels go down. Okay. So you'll never notice it. No, they, what I'm saying is they're going to die before they get anemia. Okay. The, the erythropoietin levels, yes, but remember, how many, peop, how many patients die from acute renal failure? About 50%. So most of those people are not going to live long enough to get anemia. And the ones who recover, their kidneys recover and start producing erythropoietin again, and they never get the anemia. So how long does a, does a red blood cell live? 120 days, so it probably takes at least a month before the anemia would show up, especially if the patient already had, you know, relatively normal blood levels to begin with. On our exam, are you just going to ask us about aplastic anemia, or are you going to want all the anemia? You probably need to remember them all. 
you, you, you really need to remember those anemias for all time. So the treatment at that point is either kidney transplant or right. dialysis or death. Yes. Now, in, right. in early renal insufficiency and failure, you can increase urine output by using uh, Lasix. But eventually, Lasix will stop working. That's when, that's when you're going to, then you're going to switch them over to a different lace, different loop diuretic, and that's going to fail too. And then you got to put them on dialysis or let them die. Say again? What? That's for chronic. Yeah. For acute, uh, uh, no, acute, acute is so sudden that most people die from it, no matter what you do to them. Acute, yes. <laughs> Acute happens in a day or less, and then you die, or you get better. What? So is it more about talking about pre-renal, intra-renal? I mean, that's where it is affected in the. Those are the right. Okay, acute. Okay, acute renal failure happens within minutes to days. The patient either dies or gets better within two or three weeks. Chronic kidney failure takes 10 to 15 years to develop. And, you know, the most common causes of that are the slow destruction of the glomerulus by um, diabetes and hypertension. Yes, if they don't get better, they're going to die. So it's not going to lead to chronic. It could, possibly. So it's really like chronic leads to acute, and then right. soon you're gone. Yes. <laughs> 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 it's easier to treat sorry, <laughs> 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 Okay. All right. Is it, okay, the question was, does it, is it easier to treat chronic or acute? Chronic. It's easy. It's easy. Yeah. In acute, you're trying to fight for the patient's life right this moment, so it's harder to treat in that sense. Chronic is harder to treat in the sense that they've progressively destroyed their kidney over 20 years and you cannot get it back. So you're just trying to slow the destruction down as long as possible and allow them to die from something else or keep them alive long enough off dialysis. You know, you're basically trying to just extend the period that they have before they get on dialysis. Well, again, what are the two most common causes? If they have if they have a doctor who's anywhere half competent, he's going to be checking all along. Well, your chances of getting it are very low. So you can treat acute renal failure, like yeah, they can get completely better. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> okay, let's talk about diuretics real quick, like. Real quick, like. No, we don't. All right, the diuretics. Most of the diuretics work by inhibiting the reabsorption of sodium. The earlier they work in the convoluted tubules, the stronger they are. So the ones that er work the earliest are loop diuretics and they're the strongest ones. The ones that work the latest 
are the potassium sparing diuretics and they work in the collecting tubule, the collecting duct. And in the middle, you have thiazide diuretics. Now the loop diuretics, Lasix, it can be used for high blood pressure, but it usually isn't. Why not? I said Lasix <coughs> can be used for hypertension, but it's usually not. Why not? Well, the major reason is it doesn't last long enough. So you have to use it several times a day. The other thing is it also has the most side effects. So it's not the safest drug. So it's better not to use it unless the others don't work. Yeah, it is a better diuretic than HCTZ. It's much stronger but it's not as good for hypertension. So what will we use Lasix for? What's the number one thing we're probably going to use it for in the hospital? Okay. Heart failure, exacerbations. Also use it for pe patients who have like pedal edema. Like foot edema. <laughs> Sorry. Or peripheral edema if you'd prefer. So edema in heart failure of the lungs and then peripheral edema, the two big things you're going to see it used for. Hydrochlorothiazide, what's its major use nowadays? Hypertension. Hypertension. And then the potassium sparings, what are they usually used for? Okay, we use them to hold on to potassium, so they're often used in combination with HCTZ to balance out the side effects. Because they make because they make high because they make potassium go up, they're often used in combination with HCTZ to balance out the side effects. Now, which what are the two potassium sparing diuretics you need to know? Spironolactone and triamterene. Of those two, which is most likely to be paired with hydrochlorothiazide? And why is that? Why triamterene? No, they both cause hyperkalemia. Because spironolactone <laughs> causes man boobs, and that's not nice. Which one does that? Spironolactone. spironolactone. All right. Um, so the potassium sparing are crappy diuretics. They're really only used for their side effects in terms of hypertension. When we get to heart failure, we'll talk a lot more about spironolactone, but you don't need to know that now. So all we need to know is Primarily, yeah, they use primarily in combination to balance, to balance out the side effects, the potassium side effects, okay. right. Okay, um, then we have mannitol. What's mannitol used for? Osmotic diuresis to prevent, what do we just spend the last 20 minutes talking about? Renal failure in patients who have shock. Because in shock, the kidneys stop being perfused as much, especially if you're treating them with an inotropic like, like Levofit. So it prevents or treats? It prevents. I guess it treats a little bit. But the whole idea is to prevent them from going into renal failure. All right, that's it for diuretics. That was pretty quick, huh? Seemed, why did it take so much longer in class? A lot more information because we need how about like the diseases? The diseases? Well,
Um, those are pretty straightforward. Okay. 